Genesis 1, page 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was offering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the, above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in the number and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their, their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground and wild animals each according to its kind, and it was so. And God, God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, 
and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in the image of our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all he had made and it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Jennifer, thank you for an excellent reading. That's exactly how to read it. It's steady, getting that pace, that rhythm. It's deliberate the way it's written. I love that line in it as well. He also made the stars. Next sentence. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that as we go back to this uh, chapter of the Bible, the beginning of the uh, story of everything, uh, that you would help us to... Uh, make sense of it, to receive its message with both mind and heart, that you'd speak to us, that you'd speak to us about what it means to be uh, human in your world. Pray that for your glory's sake and for our good. Amen. So, first three chapters of everything over the next couple of weeks, and then we'll come back to it in a few weeks' time as well. Um, We're going to focus today on what it means to be human, what it means to be you, to be me, because you're really fascinating. Did you know that? I hope you did. You're, you're human. You're really complex. It's what it is to be human, isn't it? I don't know whether you like sitting in a cafe just watching people come and go. Uh, people do it every day outside uh, the bakery over the, over the way. And uh, that's because people are fascinating. We're all different. Um, some of us have curly hair. Some of us have specs to wear. That's because we're different, me and you. We've just sung it, haven't we? We're all different. And uh, it's all very uh, wonderful. But it also raises issues, and Genesis is going to help us to make sense of what it means to be human, because the maker there both explains how he's made us, and also his purpose in making us in that way. So we're going to look at an outline this week that hopefully will carry forward as well, if it works, you'll have to give me feedback on that. This outline that we see throughout this opening of Genesis, that God gives good gifts to us, He makes good choices for us that we don't get to choose about and that he has good purposes in making those choices for us. Well, let's look at that with Genesis 1 open. Um, Let's look at the first of those things. There's a sort of summary of that on the uh, right at the end of the handout on the back page there. God gives good gifts to us and the most amazing gift is there in verse 26. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So you and I are part of creation, made by God, just like everything else is. Apparently, we share 90% of our DNA with cats, 80% of our DNA with dogs, up to 99% of our DNA with chimpanzees, and 50% of our DNA with a banana. Do you realise that? You're half banana. How about it? Which highlights the fact that that scientific analysis only gets us so far. It tells us we're part of the creation of all that God has made, But this tells us what part we have in that creation. The author of Genesis, if you get to verse 26, as Jennifer was reading through, you'll see the pattern. And then verse 26, it changes. Let us, it says. There's a conference. And we get a clue there that God is one, but he's more than one. Is it any wonder we're complex when we're made in God's image? We, made by God, are a sort of hybrid creature. We're somewhere between animal and angel. So verse 26 explains we're responsible for the animals. We're made by God like they are and yet we're responsible for them. Elsewhere, a psalm, Psalm 8, explains we're less than angels, we're less powerful, less strong than they are and yet we have a privileged position in the world that we live in that we, rather than the angels, are the ones made in the image of God. We reflect God. We're like God as we live our lives. That's the extraordinary truth about you and me and what it is to be human. The biggest biggest gift uh, God could give you, he's given life, and not just life, but the privilege of being in his image, like him in the world. Have a think what, what that means about how valuable you are. Where does your value come from? It's not your how much money you earn. You can't measure your value in pounds or dollars or euros. Your value is not in your talents or potential. Your value is not in your contribution to society, which sometimes people talk about. Your value is built in. It's intrinsic. It's because God has made you. You are in his image. And that applies to every single one of us. It applies to the disabled person as much as the professor as much as an astronaut. It applies to all of us. So if on your 90th birthday, your relatives offer uh, to buy you a one-way ticket to Switzerland with a visit to a place called Dignitas as uh, the place that you're going to go to, maybe suggest to those relatives, do you know what? Could you find me an alternative birthday present? You don't need to worry as you get older about being a burden. Lots of people do worry about that. You don't need to worry about that. Even if you end your days as dependent on other people, not able to do anything for yourself, you are still human. And so you have a dignity and a value 
that age and illness cannot take away from you. And God watches over the weakest in society and makes it a measure of the strong and healthy, whether they use their strength to look after the poor and the vulnerable. And so those I know that's at least one nurse in the room, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful work. It's jolly hard work, but it's wonderful work to look after those made in God's image when they can't look after themselves. God gives good gifts to us. He makes good choices for us, where we just don't get a choice in it. You see, God, the powerful creator of everything, is also the personal creator of you. And there's a reference there to Psalm 139, which talks about you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, anyone else knit? Um, I say anyone else, I don't knit. My mum knits. Uh, anyone else? No, no. There was one person at the early service who knits. And what you do, uh, at least uh, as I observe it, you take all those different strands of wool and you knit them together and ba-da, you've got a jumper. Well, God's a knitter too. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He chose what you look like. He decided what hair colour you would have, although maybe with a bit of help from the hairdresser, it looks slightly different now. But he decided your eye colour, your skin colour. He decided it by giving you the parents he gave you and by choosing what combination of your dad's nose and your mum's ears would go together as their DNA combined to make you. God made you. He chose what gifts you'd have, what abilities you'd have, whether you're male or female, more on that next week. He chose whether you can run fast. He chose whether you can understand maths easily, whether you can copy other people's accents. Which means God also chose what challenges you will have to face in life, perhaps, because you're colourblind or allergic to something, or have something more serious, a disability, or a condition medically that means that you'll need some kind of help for the rest of your life. God chose that. He's like an artist. And like an artist with a masterpiece, the artist can decide what happens. And so it is with God making the world. He has chosen choices for us. And that means that there's a givenness to life. Um, things about ourselves we cannot change. Uh, he gave us some gifts and not other gifts. And uh, he made us all different. Uh, and he had a good purpose in that. We're going to come to that in a minute. Uh, he also chose to make us finite and temporary, didn't he? Uh, he's given us these amazing bodies, but they've got limits. Uh, Britain's first Prime Minister, uh, Margaret Thatcher, first female Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, uh, famously needed only about four hours sleep a night. Remarkable. But she still needed to sleep, because we all do. We all have physical bodies, physical limitations. We need food, water, sleep, exercise, physical constraints. We can't be in two places at once, although sometimes we try. Um, we can't achieve everything we dream of. We can't know everything, although some people don't seem to have learnt that yet. God has set limits on us. So the question is, how do we handle that? Do we accept the limits and then seek God and embrace the purposes he has for us? 
depend on him, learn to trust in him and develop that relationship with him? Or as we looked at a minute uh, at the beginning when we talked about before the confession, do we just push away, do we rebel against the limits that God has set us? What will help us to uh, work with the way God's made us is to realise that God has good purposes in the choices that he has made for us. Look at verses 29 and 30. There's a wonderful description there of a planet full of life and full of food, which is wonderful. Um, The conclusion of Genesis 1, verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was... All the other days, it's been good, it's been good, it's been good. Then the creation of humans in his image, it's very good. Do you see? And verse 28, going back, I realise we're dotting backwards and forwards, it talks about God blessing humanity. His purpose that we should fill the earth. That we should subdue it. We should discover ways of travelling from one part of the planet to another. We should explore it, enjoy it. We should discover and learn and study how ecosystems work and learn how to preserve the diversity of life whilst using the resources that the planet has for the common good. That's God's purpose, and it's a good purpose. Which, if you think about it, means it was always part of God's plan as the human race went out and filled the earth that we would end up with a huge diversity in the way we look. Depending on how much ultraviolet light hits your skin, which part of the planet you've moved to, depends on how the human race has adapted and there are different skin colours. That was always God's plan. Do you see that? And his plan and purpose was, with all our diversity, we would understand we're one human family and be a team and manage the planet together and enjoy it together and look after it together and make sure we don't exterminate the species that God's given us to look after. And we're supposed to do that as a diverse, rich human family. That's his good purpose. So, well, we've heard already about the issue of sin when we push away from God's plan, when we start to think, oh, I know better than you, God, and we start to act selfishly whether it's problems in the environment or problems between people. We can talk about the environment another time because I think I want to talk today a little bit about the problems between people and the issue that has very much come back into our minds in recent days, if it wasn't there already, of racism. The horrors that we saw in Charlottesville of that shameless prejudice and animosity in uh, that rally that happened, which was utterly shamelessly racist. But uh, you don't need to tell me about racism. It's, it's here on the streets of London too. It's stuff that we see posted and it's just unbelievable, the things that we see happening that people kind of take videos and post on the internet. We need to know not just that racism is wrong. We need to know why it's wrong. We need to know how we can make sure it just doesn't get its roots anywhere into our heart, into the way we do things. And it's how can we persuade others as well that God's got a much better purpose for the human race than that? Charlottesville highlights that every single generation needs to relearn this and rethink this 
and reenact this. Otherwise, sin in the human heart will, will grow, it won't go away, sin in the human heart. Every generation needs to understand and come up with uh, strategies against it. Because what sin does is, if we think we can get away with it, it will lead us into something bad. And if we can't get away with it on our own, it will try and form a group to get away with it together. And it's not usually a group of people with green eyes or people who like poetry. That's okay, those kind of groups usually. They don't usually start getting angry with other people. Um, It's a group of people who wear the same colour football shirt. You know, something really important like that. Uh, It's a a group of people who speak the same language and therefore think, ah, yeah, we're superior. Or a group of people with the same skin colour. And... And sin says, oh, our group is better than other groups. Our group, yeah, we can, we can raise ourselves up by putting other people down. Come on, group, let's do that. And it appeals to the animal part of our hybrid nature, to the tribal base instincts of me first and my group first, which pushes away from God and pushes away from other people and doesn't care how we treat others. That's where racism comes from. And we're going to need to particularly watch out for it in these coming months with the Brexit negotiations. There's going to be all kinds of nationalism and sort of petty self-interest that comes to the fore. The Gospel both names and shames racism and heals it. So in Athens, where I've just been with, a, with an Oak Hall group, uh, um, with, there's their sort of chaplain there, um, uh, a week and a bit ago, I stood where Paul stood uh, once upon a time. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17. Uh, and the ancient Greeks who he spoke to, they were really racist. <laughs> they saw themselves as superior and pure and everybody else in the whole world as barbarians. So Paul, when he stood on the Areopagus and preached to them, he preached, he didn't quote Genesis 1, rather he didn't read Genesis 1 out, but he quoted from it. He said, hey um, Athenians, God has made all the nations from one man. Think about that. A, we have all the same creator. B, we're all from the same human stock. We all have the same ancestor if we go back far enough. We're all cousins, brothers, sisters. We're all one human family, says Paul. And he's right. Scientists have discovered that as they've studied human DNA. And so, sure, we'd all look different. Some of us are big and tall, some of us are very small. But those differences are minor compared to the fact that we are all one human family. The Bible has always been against uh, racism of any kind. Um, Jonah, um, when uh, he starts putting the national interests of Israel against, uh, over and against the, and ahead of the pagan city of Nineveh, is roundly condemned by God. And the gospel comes and says that in Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. You see, there was a day when, as Andrew referred to in John chapter 1, The the one who made everything came and the creator became a creature. That's a remarkable thing for the creator to do, isn't it? 
He became one of us. He became part of the creation. And Jesus, when he did that, lived in the way that God always made humanity to live. A life that imaged God the Father. A life of true dependence on God the Father. A life of purity. A life of ruling the world, if you look at some of the miracles Jesus did. And a life which rescues the rest of the human race by paying in our place the penalty for all the times we've been subhuman, all the times we've been rebellious. And more than that even, he lifts humanity to a new place that it had not been before. The place that God always intended the human race to be, namely with him in his direct presence. That's where Jesus is now. And that's where he calls you to be and me to be as we put our faith in him and as we look forward to that future with him forever. And that's the vision in, in, when we get to the final book of the Bible, isn't it? Revelation, this is the throne of God and people of every tribe and tongue and nation are there before the throne of God. We're ruling the world as God always meant us to be. That's the future in Christ. So question for you and me now is will we accept that purpose of God? Will we embrace the fact that God has set certain things about us so, okay, I accept that. Now let me get involved in God's purposes. Now let me be part of multiplying in the world or making it a fruitful place. Is that your vision, your heart, as you hear uh, this message about uh, God's uh, work and God's will? You see, God has chosen certain things about us. He's chosen to come into the world to call us back when we went wrong. He's given you certain things to get involved in building a better world, in making it a fruitful place. And he invites us to really embrace that and to make our lives count. God gives good gifts to us. He makes good choices for us, which we don't get to choose. He has good purposes in that. And our response should be, and can be, to accept God's choices and to embrace God's purposes. May that be so for us. Amen.